This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast series, From Backstreet to Wall Street, where entrepreneurs from around the world use innovative business models to solve some of the world's most pressing business problems. Leaders in the impact investing movement who are providing the capital to fuel the growth drive these conversations. Your hosts are Mukul Pandya, Executive Director and Editor-in-Chief of Knowledge at Wharton, and Doreen Shinaz, Founder and CEO of Impact Investment Exchange, one of the pioneers in promoting impact investing in Asia. So today's topic is about unlocking endowments for impact investing. Now, interestingly, when you think of endowment, obviously the first thing that comes to mind is either universities or you think of foundations. And today we're going to be talking about foundations who play a key role, interestingly now, in the space of impact investing. Now, just to kind of jog everyone's memory, of course, impact investing is about investments with an intention of creating not only financial return, but also social and environmental return. Now, you would think, you know, what what does foundation have to do with it? Well, foundations have played an incredible role in actually creating the space because 10 years ago, it was Rockefeller Foundation who coined the term impact investing and in effect almost started this movement around it globally. Now, foundations across the U.S. and globally, they are now looking at really using the endowment that they have in the money that they have um, in terms of um, catalyzing the space to the program-related investment and mission-related investment. Now, today we have... uh, um, a couple of very interesting guests. So we will start off first with um, Ms. Marie Kogiso, the director of Tokyo-based, um, well, I would say Japan-based, um, Sasakawa Peace Foundation, which is one of the largest foundations actually in Asia. And um, today Marie is going to be joining us from Tokyo, and uh, she will be talking to us about the work that Sasakawa Peace Foundation is doing in catalyzing the impact investing space in Asia. So welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. Well, we are very excited as well. So before uh, we start talking about Sasakawa, we always like to start off um, with a very personal um, question, which is what started you on this journey of connecting sort of back street to Wall Street? Because obviously okay. you have been very key in Sasakwa Foundation and getting them into the space. So what's the story of Mari? Tell us that. Okay. Thank you for that question. Uh, I actually started my career as an investment bank in Japan, uh, which means that I started my career at the Japan Wall Street. Then after graduating from graduate school in the U.S., I joined the World Bank, where my main focus was helping community at the bottom of the pyramid. Then, after working there uh, for about 10 years, I joined the Sasagawa Peace Foundation, and my job now is, as you say, uh, connecting back street to Wall Street. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. So you really have, have gone from the Japanese Wall Street, you know, to World Bank, and now you're sort of uh, bridging the whole world of uh, impact investing to... Sasakawa Foundation. Now, interestingly, 
you know, Sasuka Foundation has been in operation for now about 30 years. Now, it has been known to support a lot of research, policy work. So how did you convince the foundation to come into impact investing? Uh, well, I think that it, uh, I would not say that it has been an easy task to persuade everybody that who has been in the world of grant making for such a long time. But I, I think that recently, like Nippon Foundation, the Sister Foundation, and the Sakawa Foundation has a lot of projects to uh, help social entrepreneurs in Asia. And as we can kind of start like assisting these people, we kind of we saw that uh, the grant is not always the most effective tool to help these people because it cannot provide uh, growth money. So we kind of started uh, exploring the other way to help these like social entrepreneurs, and we kind of came to the investing thing as uh, what, uh, as one of the very effective tools to help these people. So was it part of the reason also um, with Sasuka Foundation, um, was part of this move in sort of starting to explore the impact investing space as a result of seeing the other foundations, especially in the U.S., were starting to come into the space? Was that a big incentive? I think, uh, I think that movement helped a lot, of course, like because uh, foundations tend to be a very conservative people. So right. having some years like venturing into the space and the, like uh, they are very kind enough to share their experience. So that was that actually helped a lot. So right. uh, we also try to talk a lot with the foundation and the family offices in Asia, and we try to share our experience. And we also try to work on some of the case studies to learn from others. And I think that that kind of helped us a lot to kind of start our right. impact investing fund. Right, and I think you, um, you know, IX obviously worked with you uh, on some of this, uh, the report and exploration in terms of innovative financing mechanism um, to encourage the private sector uh, to come mm -hmm. in. I mean, what, so now that you have done your research and you're now looking at sort of making the big plunge, you know, into uh, the impact investing space, how are you actually looking to do it? And why this focus on women? Okay, uh, let me start with the reason that we kind of looking at women now, because uh, as a foundation, uh, we normally do research and do policy recommendations, so we have started conducting some uh, like studies on gender, especially on unconscious bias, so women entrepreneurship, and what are the hurdles that they are facing, and how ICT can promote women empowerment in the region. And we kind of, we found that, uh, like, still the economic, like, instability of many women and uh, the, the fact that they cannot find formal employment has been a really big, uh, like, uh, issue in the region still. But uh, mm -hmm. so they, the only option they have many times is to kind of uh, start a business by themselves. But they, they still face a lot of, like, hurdles because uh, they cannot lend from, like, big financial institutions because they don't have a collateral. And they mm -hmm. kind of face all kind of biases that they try to kind of work as an entrepreneur. So we kind of decided to establish the, uh, this fund 
to help the woman uh, access to more capital as they can kind of try to uh, start their business and expand their business. And that's how we kind of decide, decided to start this fund. And also right. the reason that uh, we, de- uh, we decided to do that through investment, not grant, is uh, just as I said that uh, we didn't think that grant could be the most effective tool to provide them, with, especially with the growth money. So we decided to uh, include investment uh, into our fund, but we also provide, decided to provide grants as well. Because I right. thought they thought that at the seeding stage, like they still need some like uh, grant or concessionary funding. Right. So now, in terms of obviously um, looking through your Asian Women's Impact Fund, which you're calling right, the hundred million dollar mm-hmm. fund, um, some of it will be grant, some of it will be investment. Now, mm-hmm. how do you see either grant or the investment being able to catalyze, um, you know, other investments to come in? I mean. What is sort of the thinking behind it? Right. Uh, especially, I, I think that to uh, to catalyze more capital and to this field, uh, I think that we are kind of try to work with um, other investors in the region to kind of build ecosystem uh, of the impact investing uh, in, in in the region. And to also, like, for example, to kind of come up with assessment, impact assessment system, or try to work together to kind of think of the idea of new impact fund. Or we are now talking with some people in the region to uh, come up with gender uh, indices to, for the public equities. So we are trying to kind of connect some of the players or like-minded people in the region to kind of right. look at like new structures and new way of thinking about the risk and uh, looking at the gender issues right now. So that's what we are kind of trying to do through our investment activities and for grants. We are trying to kind of work closely with the social entrepreneurs to kind of help as many of them to get more investment ready so that they can... Right. Uh, to the capital market and kind uh, get like financing needed, uh, they need from the like investors themselves. So we are uh, starting uh, with uh, providing them with uh, skills training, and we we will try to provide them with seed funding or concessionary funding, but also right. try to provide them with the necessary skills and network and the mentorship that they're going to be needed. But we are still kind of working on the details of the plan. But, for example, one of the projects that we are trying to do is we're going to be working with, with the Microsoft uh, in Asia to come up with the ICT training that really meets, uh, meets the need of the entrepreneurs uh, in the region. With Microsoft? So yeah. you're going So you're looking to work with Microsoft um, in terms mm-hmm. of exploring technological solution? I mean, yeah. what is yeah. Microsoft is really not that big in impact investing. Right. So we're kind of tech, uh, providing, like, technology solution, and we're going to be providing seed funding and some of the networking in the region. So I think about this kind of interesting collaboration that we are trying to collaborate not only with the foundation but also 
like other like incubators in the region or mm-hmm. uh, like technology providers like Microsoft to come out to work together to come up with the solution that uh, necessary for the social entrepreneurs. Right, but this is the Microsoft, their foundation arm though, right, that you're working with? No, that's actually the Microsoft CSR team. So they have been right. providing like ICT skill training to the social entrepreneurs, but for them, uh, it was rather difficult to kind of really understand the on-the-ground need for the women social entrepreneurs because uh, there has been not much data, not much understanding, or there not have been not many courses for women right. entrepreneurs only. But so on now, I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's, that's great, but once again, you know, it's about um, scale, right? So what mm-hmm. is Sasakura Foundation going to do uh, where you have a leadership role in Asia um, among the foundations, you're probably you know, one, you're one of the largest in Asia. In terms of sort mm-hmm. of catalyzing this space, how do you bring in large amounts of capital into this space? And the reason I ask that, and right. of course you worked in World Bank, and I always mm-hmm. sort of um, say it with some jest, probably with some truth in it as well, that if World mm-hmm. Bank and IFC did their job right, then we mm-hmm. wouldn't have to do impact investing, to be very honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. so I think yeah. the, the, so the point being, you know, what can Sasuke Foundation do in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. unlocking so much wealth that's sitting in Asia, right? right? I mean, we have 3.4 million high net worth mm-hmm. individuals here. I mean, these are people with over $100 million. I mean, they're mm-hmm. massive amount of wealth. What can mm-hmm. Tusker mm-hmm. Foundation do to make these people open up their purse and actually right. do right. something for sustainable development? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very challenging and difficult task. And, of course, as a foundation, like, we're small compared to the government and other people. And we cannot, of course, do it by ourselves. But we also understand that we cannot just simply achieve that by working together. I think that we need a new structure, new kind of a structure or more innovative solution, like financial solution or structure for uh, like unlocking or letting more people like investors to come in into this field and uh, also try to kind of persuade or having investors to have understanding uh, on uh, like more about the social entrepreneurs or uh, this impact uh, impact investing field because um, I think that like uh, of course we are trying to work uh, out a new structure like blended finance to have more private like capital coming into this field but I think that without private investors changing their uh, way of looking at risk, uh, it's going to be extremely difficult to, for us to have so much private capital coming into this field because I see that uh, the amount of, if we talk about blended finance, that amount of the like concessionary financing or grants are very limited, especially like more and more like uh, people are, uh, sorry, there's a so the concessionary finance you think is Right, it's going to sort of will be one of the um, key component in starting the process, from what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Right. So now, just in terms of um, you know, in um, looking at Sasaba Foundation, sort of your key priority goals, 
Um, and it's interesting, you know, when I was reading about it, it's uh, first and foremost you have there is, you know, to further strengthen the Japan-U.S. relationship. So, of course, with your work, the whole U.S. relationship is a big part of it. You are looking to kind of expand Japan's presence in Asia. You're looking to enhance understanding in, about the Islamic countries, um, establishing ocean governance, and then empowering women. So now with these, um, you know, list of items that you're really focused on, where does impact investing come in in terms of all these sort of the, I would say, your priority goals? And um, does impact investing touch all of them or, um, you know, one of them? And, and what is sort of the plan for 2018 for the foundation as a whole? Uh, yes, uh, we are, we, of course, like we have a very different set of priority in one foundation. So the, uh, we, we are starting with the woman uh, gender like uh, uh, division, and we are starting with woman economic empowerment to test out okay. the impact investing strategy to kind of start with. Because uh, for, for but in the future, I, I hope that there's going to be more like way to apply impact investing to the uh, more of the issues. But right. also, like we are just starting with just six percent of our endowment to kind of start out uh, like impact investing strategy. But if it goes well, of course, we want to expand uh, that six percent to uh, much higher like a percentage, but we, we are still kind of starting to see that, how that's going to, like, right. uh, that's going to So it's going to be 6% yeah. of your $100 million endowment that's going to go into impact investing in Asia? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, correct. for 2018. Okay, fantastic. So um, so I guess in terms of, you know, um, you know you um, sort of as the helm of, of one of the largest foundation in Asia as a woman, I mean, what do you think in your sort of, from a very personal perspective, um, do you see your role and your voice sort of, you know, encouraging other foundations to follow um, the Sasukua Peace Foundation's role? I mean, what, how are you seeing in Sasukua Foundation and you yourself, you know, sort of having a leadership role in the impact investing in Asia right now? Yeah, um, I think that like uh, our foundation, as a kind of one of the largest foundation in Asia, of course, we're really trying to like uh, kind of establish network with other like philanthropists uh, in the region. Not only foundation, right. but hopefully that we are trying to like work with like family offices as the more and the more family offices. Are more keen to coming into impact investing, and as you rightly said, that there's more like high net worth individual right. like starting to coming into impact investing as an angel investors, and we see more and more of this movement coming from especially from China and some part of Singapore and Japan, and so we we are kind of trying to like network these people, and also like uh, in each sector, like there's a lot of like interesting movement of like younger people like working together to uh, think of the solution like hackathon or ICT later like competition. So we, we are hoping to be a, like uh, to be a focal point or we, we hope to connecting these people or society and also right. at the foundation that we also want to connect like investors and the social sector 
because uh, right, right. we see that in many cases, the social sector and the investor, uh, they state each other that they don't speak the same language. And uh, like for the investor, like uh, the, they, they don't understand that uh, they have not really experienced working with social entrepreneurs. And the social entrepreneurs expect investors to just provide them cheap money. But I think that there's uh, more... Like uh, there's need a more understand mutual understanding about like investors and uh, like entrepreneurs and since like foundation has been working together with uh, like uh, social entrepreneurs and also foundation has been acting as investor. I think that foundation should play a more proactive role to connect these. So you think? Um, so Marie, just to interject, I mean. Um it seems mm-hmm. like, um, you know, so from what you're saying that, you know, the Saskia Peace Foundation is really, I would say, acting, you know, creating the lead, let's put it that way, for a lot of mm-hmm. the family offices, right, in Asia. And as we know, there mm-hmm. are a lot of family offices in Hong Kong and now, of course, mm-hmm. lots in China and Singapore. Right. And mm-hmm. so it is a strong message from what you're saying for the family offices. Mm-hmm in terms of Sasuba mm-hmm. Foundation coming in. How about the family offices in Japan? Do they see this as something as a positive sign? I mean, because, again, you're absolutely right. In Asia, you know, we tend to be much more risk-averse. So mm-hmm. do you think this is a this is a strong message with Sasuba Foundation coming in for the family mm-hmm. offices in all the countries, yeah. including Japan? Uh, for Chichi, Japan, there's a lot of exception that family offices in Japan uh, prefer to be very invi- uh, invisible. So they mm. kind of doesn't come out with their names. Because uh, uh, I think that just a culture issue. So they kind of want to be seen that they are being rich and they are trying to use their money. Uh, so that's not culturally, uh, not considered to be very positive thing sometimes. I so see. Unfortunately, I so not yes, Japan. Uh, okay. In Japan, okay. gold, silence is gold, and they want to show all what they have. So the Japanese are unfortunately a little bit of an exception. But still, okay. I hear that some of the big corporations are trying to establish some, uh, some foundations now. So there's uh, some movement uh, there, but uh, for the family offices, we see much movement in uh, uh, other Asian countries. Right. And definitely, and I think that is definitely the case, and I think the work that you have started, um, I think it will definitely bring a lot more people into the space. So you're you're starting Mm -hmm. some very important work. So as a final Mm -hmm. question, Marie, um, what gives you the hope, meaning that what makes you hopeful that Mm -hmm. we will be able to connect Backstreet to Wall Street. Uh, We'll be able to use impact investing to do good, you know, in a large scale. Uh, you know that I, I think that the technology advancement is one thing that I am really hoping to make change to the mindset of the people, because there's going to be a, a different way that people can uh, get more information, and also, mm-hmm. like uh, for example, like uh, like there's a AI and robots uh, playing more important role in the financial sectors and sometimes making a decision to on in terms of like um, investment that which which one that, that people should be investing in so for example like there's a like AI robot system that can kind of tell people that which uh, products 
to invest from the longer term of view, not really with the short term view to uh, kind of make society more sustainable. If there's kind of this kind of technology that might be very interesting. So I hope that like uh, technology might be the one key to uh, changing the way that people connect each other and hopefully to kind of change uh, the a behavior, investment behavior of the people to kind of make them think longer term and also uh, to kind of uh, so, so, uh, think more about the social issues. So that's, that's right. My no, I completely agree. So that's that's mm-hmm. that's wonderful, and that's a good note to uh, to end our chat with, which is really we have to still think a little bit more long term and have patience and think that's holistically about the rest of the world. So. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Marie. Really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for thank joining you so us much. today. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. No, you're fantastic. Thank, thank you. you. Earlier, we heard from Mario Kogiso from Japan-based Sasako Foundation on establishing a gender lens fund and simulating impact investing in Asia through their foundation. Now, to connect the back street to Wall Street, we have with us. Mr. Roy Swan and Ms. Christian Looney, Director and Deputy Director, respectively, of Mission Investment at Ford Foundation. Roy and Christine, welcome to the show, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Great. So let's let's get started. This is this is actually very exciting because um, we heard um, a very different perspective. Um, Earlier on, from um, our colleagues in Japan, you know, from the Sasakawa Foundation, from Murray, about how the whole foundation space is now very slowly, I have to say, is evolving in Asia. But um, you all are pioneers in how you started this. So before we start on Ford Foundation, I would like to actually have each one of you, so Roy, if you can start with your personal story. So what brought you sort of into this space of Ford Foundation? I mean, in your case, actually, you came from Wall Street, um, you know, into this space. And what brought you here? And then, Christine, I would love to hear from you as well. Well, great. Well, thanks for that question. So um, I would say that uh, what brought me here um, is the same thing that has taken me through uh, my life's journey, uh, which is really um, going back to my old days growing up. I grew up in... Church, which was um, both, I uh, went to Pentecostal churches, I went to Southern Baptist churches, and in the African American community, those churches are very, um, I guess, uh, robust with with the spirit, and there are deep lessons right. ingrained among them. To whom much is given, much is expected, and the the term much is very subjective. Um, in in many views, I wouldn't have had much, uh, uh, having grown up in a kind of lower income, blue collar community. But on a relative basis, I felt like I had a lot. So my life has been about trying to uh, use whatever skills and background I have uh, to try to help others. And that's been a theme that I've been able to apply directly in certain instances. For example, I helped start up uh, the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone in Harlem. Uh, which was a distressed community uh, in in New York City as a part of a uh, federal program designed to revitalize distressed inner cities. Um, And I also worked at Carver Bank, which was the largest 
uh, African American managed bank, which was formed at a time when African Americans could not bank uh, with with uh, mainstream banks. Uh, at Morgan Stanley, I worked in community development, which was focused on uh, delivering capital to lower income communities. And so, the Ford Foundation is just a, a, a part is my latest part of, uh, of, of of my journey. And uh, frankly, it's one that that may have the greatest potential. Uh, to deliver uh, the greatest impact on a global scale. Right. But it really sounds like it has been an amazing journey for you. You know, it, it really sounds like from childhood and the exposures that you have had to all these community banks and all the work that you've done um, in Harlem and elsewhere. I mean, this is this is quite quite a journey, and and uh, and you're continuing that at Ford. Christine, how about you? What 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 is your journey? So I. I started off, um, I mean, I grew up in, in a, a more kind of upper-middle-class environment, and um, I think I spent a lot of my high school and college years, though, um, really kind of recognizing that benefit and figuring out mm -hmm. how I could engage more deeply in kind of the social service sector broadly. I got right. incredibly engaged in... Um, Big Brother, Big Sister. I spent a year doing domestic volunteer program, um, and and yet I started my career really in traditional finance. Um, and it was only a couple of years into it that I think I woke up and I said, there has to be something more I can do. I, I love I love investing, um, but there needs to be some way I can think of to creatively use this and, and kind of marry that with my desire to be more engaged in, in kind of social justice issues broadly. Right. And so and you I have been at Ford for a number of, Christine, you've been in Ford for a number of years now, right? I have. I have. So I, I really applied to business school as a career switcher. And my application reads very much like a desire to work in the impact investing world, even though it didn't exist really at the time. Um, and I right. luckily, as I graduated, um, from business school, saw an opportunity to, um, ha you know, apply for a job at the Ford Foundation. And for me, it's been quite a gift to kind of work on our impact investment programs over, you know, the past 10-plus years and, and really be part of this time at Ford where we've made such a deep commitment um, to this space. Right. Now, Christine, the interesting thing is, um, you know, I, I, we know each other for a number of years now. Um, and I guess it's interesting to see the evolution in Ford Foundation. I mean, um, because it really was, you know, obviously Rockefeller Foundation, who um, was in some ways the pioneers in 10 years ago around this. When did Ford sort of start thinking about this? And when did Ford, you know, say that, okay, you know what, this is something that we're going to take on as, as a leader, you know, in this space? How, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think our pivot to really think about what more we could do in impact investing after being leaders starting program-related investments in the late 60s really was attributed to Darren Walker becoming president of the Ford Foundation and, and the foundation making an incredibly deep commitment through all of its um, thematic activities to work on reducing inequality. And I think as we thought about that goal, 
it was important for us to look at all of our assets, including the endowment, as part of our efforts to um, contribute to reducing inequality. Um, as we thought about engaging in the space, we, we took a serious look at what we could do through a grant-making strategy and what we could do through an investment strategy. Um, but it was really you know, through Darren's presidency that the effort started, and it was a long effort. Um, it took us, you know, several years to develop um, what now is an incredibly comprehensive um, strategy around impact right. investing. I mean, it's, it's literally, I mean, it's like it's like moving this massive ship, right? I mean, this is uh, the the organization was um, obviously doing great work, but it was in one direction, and then obviously now, you know, making it uh, steer in a different way, but you know, with greater, I would say, impact and mission in sight. Now, Roy, just for our listeners, uh, can you? Can you tell us the difference between the PRI and MRI? We hear all these terms that foundations sort of use. I mean, what are all these acronyms? What, 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 what does it stand for? Well, um, I guess um, in, from a technical perspective, <clears throat> program-related investments, which, by the way, um, you know, roughly 50 years ago, well, exactly 50 years ago, uh, the Ford Foundation um, was the drive force into creation of that program. And program-related program investments were created to allow foundations like Ford to use more of its capital uh, uh, such that it could be deployed in a way that was possible um, to be paid back, uh, beginning with the concept that uh, sometimes a higher volume of capital uh, would be needed to be deployed to be catalytic in a situation. But in those certain situations, um, that could, there was possibilities that that capital, uh, some of that capital or all of it, or, or some of the capital with a return, could be paid back. It was a way to uh, expand the bounds of the grant-making uh, capacity of foundations. And from a technical perspective, Program-related investment is a part of the uh, the five percent uh, spend that the IRS, the, the Internal Revenue Service here in the U.S., requires foundations to put to work every year. The mission-related uh, investments is uh, uh, capital that comes directly from from an endowment, and as Christine alluded to, is a way to further, even further, expand the amount of capital foundations could put to work uh, on, an, on an annual uh, basis uh, because it goes beyond that, that 5% and goes into the corpus, which is the, the, the other 95%. And in, in each instance, uh, the, whether it's PRI or MRI, uh, most foundations will look at the highest return on investment. It's an optimization uh, strategy, I think, in, in each instance. Okay. And with, with uh -huh. PRI, there may be greater um, uh, opportunities to go further out on, on the risk curve um, uh, versus with, with the MRI, there might be more of a focus on balancing the social and financial returns. But there are so many different uh, idiosyncrasies. Sometimes uh, right. it, it may be right. fair to look at these as just a big pool of capital that can be work, put to work to, to generate double bottom line returns. Right. So in terms of now this, this new strategy um, that um, Ford is now incorporating, 
what's the shift been in terms of the, the distribution between the two types of investments? So we, we currently, we have a, a grant budget um, to support mm -hmm. field building and, and market infrastructure. We have a $280 million program-related investment fund, and then we have an allocation for up to a billion dollars of our endowment to be invested over 10 years through this new mission-related investment program. Right. Right. And um, from what, um, you know, we saw Ford Foundation has now invested, uh, you know, quite a bit, at least in the research, it shows um, $600 million to date in mission-related investment. Um, now, tell us a little bit about one of these uh, current investments that you're most excited about um, as a part of this pool. Yeah, um, so I think... Um, Christine, I think, do you want... Uh, Roy, yeah, that'll be great. Sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, I think we can both respond. But I just... Um, I'm, I'm the new guy on the block, but I think when I... Well, I think that $600 million you're referring to may be referring to the aggregate amount of program-related investment that has been invested over the years uh, since... Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Trades the program. Yes, sorry. Is that... Okay. I, I think okay. That, so, so, now, with respect to... The uh, if you're if you're wondering about an example of PRI and MRI, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, so so let me start with MRI um, and just say that our the Ford Foundation's board of trustees formed a mission-related investments committee, and the chair of that committee is also the chair of the Ford Foundation's investment committee that works with the the broader endowment. That committee, uh, and, and it was a process that, that Christine and Zav Briggs, uh, who's the leader of, 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 our, of our group, um, that committee determined a couple investment sectors that the mission-related investments effort would dedicate itself to at the early stages. And those, those areas are affordable housing in the U.S. and financial inclusion in the global south, that is, uh, developing areas in, in, in the southern hemisphere. And that's basically and, microfinance, is it, mostly, or more than that? It, it, it is more financial inclusion uh, in our context is more providing financial services to the underserved. So, for example, banking products for um, areas that may not have branches nearby, as an example. There may be mobile banking products because many mm -hmm. people... Uh, many more people have access to phones and may have access to bank branches. Uh, that's right. one example. Another example is uh, low-cost insurance products, uh, and, and there are many insurance companies and burgeoning insurance companies who see the folks who are currently underserved. There could be products that are custom-tailored to serve their needs that would be much better than having uh, no insurance product. And and on on those in those two areas, what we've done is we've made a few investments in uh, affordable housing. Um, we related active. We have not yet made an investment in financial inclusion. In affordable housing, the typical model uh, would be a fund manager that has experience with the various public-private entities that are engaged in affordable housing in the U.S. Mm -hmm and they've developed a strategy that is typically what we call housing plus. That is, it's, okay. it's an investment in the preservation of affordable housing, plus there tends to be some social services component that basically provides 
value-added services to the residents. So it takes a more holistic view. There's both the shelter that comes along with affordable housing, shelter at an affordable price, and then there are examples of services that would be a benefit uh, to the residents to help uh, deliver some of those services that may not be as easily attained in, in some of the neighborhoods in which they live. On the right. PRI, um, I mean, it seems to be, I mean, the affordable housing and, and I guess the whole issues around it, surrounding it, I mean, it's uh, um, it's quite uh, unbelievable. I mean, I read, uh, I was just uh, reading this book and heard the podcast on this whole story of eviction and what a, you know, incredible, uh, you know, social issue it is in the U.S. So I think this is, uh, affordable housing is, of course, in the U.S. and rest of the rest of the globe as well. So it's, it's, it's fantastic to hear the work that you're doing. And, and the other example, I'm sorry, you were going to, you were going to mention that as well. Well, I was going to uh, shift over to uh, PRI and mm -hmm. um, Christine, I don't know if you have a, 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 a prototype example. Sure. I may, I may respond less by citing one specific example and more talking about how excited we are about a strategy really in both portfolios to advance issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And through our peer I fund, we've made a number of initial commitments, some of which have closed, some of which are in the process of closing, um, that are using a number of different strategies to do that. We're looking at a fund manager who's going to embed implicit bias training alongside a fund of funds investment strategy and impact funds throughout the United States were um, invested in a media fund that's using the power of media and storytelling and TV um, to uh, really advance um, not only diverse casts but um, diverse um, ownership in, in film and television um, to, to share different stories with a broader audience on, on equity and inclusion. And then we're um, making a number of catalytic um, investments in first-time or early-stage second-time managers with um, diverse teams from a gender and race perspective who are, in turn, really advancing investment strategies that um, um, take into consideration race, gender, equity as part of their strategies. And so I, I think for Ford as a social justice foundation um, with a, a longstanding grant-making strategy in these areas, that's really for our team an incredibly important um, issue to, to take on, not only because we care about it, but also because we think it's an incredibly um, attractive investment opportunity that's been um, very overlooked in the market. Right. Now, one of the things, I guess, you know, what we see um, in impact investing and at IX, we obviously um, grapple with this all the time, which is, you know, this space obviously needs a lot of innovation. And, you know, and there's some of us, we obviously spending a lot of time and effort um, in creating new products and uh, new services um, to, to make sure that we are bringing finance and development together. One of the biggest hurdles, I would say, in this process is, really mitigating risk and uh, this whole notion of risk where if we could handle it the right way, obviously more private sector investment would come in. Now, interestingly, uh, we came across this um, looking at your work that um, Ford Foundation along with MacArthur Foundation, um, I guess, uh, pulled together $7.5 million 
um, to act as a de-risking mechanism for CalVert. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. I mean, we were amazed when we found out. And we were like, oh, my God. I mean, you know, this is fantastic. This is exactly what the state needs. I mean, tell us a little bit about that, history of that, and uh, how can we see more of this? So it's a, it's a complicated structure and one that's very early stage, but I think a challenge for many of our nonprofit partners is their limited, their, their inability to accept equity. Um, and so they're dependent on their own earned income or grant support um, to really scale their businesses. Uh, Calvert is an incredibly well-regarded social impact investment intermediary. And so for Ford and for MacArthur, um, we felt it was an important organization to, to kind of test out a, a new innovation in finance to help scale. So through this investment, we're, we're helping through a unique structure to try to place in its own way equity on a nonprofit's balance sheet um, through a unique structure um, to really help Calvert scale. Now, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll learn um, over time, it's a very early stage investment, um, the ability to replicate something like this. But I think for you know, Ford, MacArthur, and many other philanthropies, um, we spend a lot of time thinking of, of ways to innovate with investment structures, and this is one. Right. And how, I mean, what, what do you see in terms of in the horizon, Roy, um, in these type of instruments um, to come in sort of outside of the U.S. and, and, and so we can see um, lots in the market being stimulated? Any, any plans for that, or do you see other foundations um, following the suit? Well, I, I love that question because it gets to what it, one very important component of our strategy, and that is the power of collaboration. And one of the things that's um, great about the Community Reinvestment Act programs um, in, in the U.S. banking sector, and the Community Reinvestment Act is a 1977 law that required banks to stop discriminating against certain communities and to uh, do an appropriate amount of business, that is, allocate an appropriate amount of capital in those communities, is the CR, the Community uh, Reinvestment Act, which, which translated at banks as really community development, um, brings together the government, philanthropic entities, and banks, that's private capital, and you create these deals that we, we would often call lasagna financing because they'd have multiple layers, multiple tranches in a capital stack. Mm. There, there could be roles for foundations or, or others that have grant budgets. There could be roles for program-related investment, which is meant to be catalytic, catalytic investment and oftentimes credit enhancing or loss absorbing. There, uh, there are also uh, roles uh, for you know, government tax credits to drive capital uh, as an incentive to drive private capital, and then the banks are able to allocate some of their most highly regulated capital, which is loan capital. And all this capital right. comes together, so there's lots of flavors and different appetites to, uh, for those flavors, and working together, I mean, we've got a lot of big problems globally, and it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of creativity. And a part of what we're able to do here at the Ford Foundation is we have, within our own 
entity here, we have multiple different types of, of capital that can be put to work. Now, we can't use our grant capital to absorb, potentially absorb our own losses for, from our endowment capital, but there may be other foundations that may not have uh, MRI, mission-related investment programs, and they want to be catalytic and use some of their grant capital, or others that may want to just use their program-related investment capital. So collaboration is, we believe, um, what is going to be a key factor to driving us forward. Right, and I think it's, I actually never heard of this term, the, the lasagna um, structure, which I just love it. I think it's a perfect, perfect uh, usage of the word um, because it is very, very, very needed. And um, we do see, at least in Asia, we are, we are having to create it ourselves. So do you see sort of sitting in the U.S. as a, as a leader in this space, you know, in the foundation space uh, globally? I mean, do you see... Uh, foundations in Europe or in Asia, Latin America, are they coming to you to replicate this? Or, I mean, what, what are you seeing in the global scale? Well, I'll go first. And uh, so, um, uh, yeah, we have been approached um, uh, by uh, folks in uh, Africa, Asia, and Europe uh, to join in to collaborative thinking processes so that we can share learnings whether they be, you know, learnings of great successes or, or, or some of the mistakes we've made, with the goal of moving everyone forward. So I think the, the type of momentum that, that we're sensing and the level of interest is really, uh, really encouraging. Uh, we feel like we've got something here, and it's really up to us, and that's the collective us, not just for, for everyone, to keep our eyes on the prize, if you will, and continue to move move things forward. Right. Now, uh, Roy, I, I will ask you something which we are now hearing quite a bit, um, which is uh, in terms of sort of stepping back and looking at impact investing, uh, given these a lot of the bigger um, sort of players, the banks and the funds that are coming in, that there's a huge risk of the space being diluted. I mean, how is the foundation world viewing this, because there's a lot of noise that we're hearing. So I'm sure our listeners are as curious, you know, as anyone else to, to hear your views on this. Well, um, I think ultimately when, when, for, when we look at things, we, we look at things holistically. And what, what, I, what, what, I mean, what we mean by that is there may be fund managers, as an example, um, that have the impact label on their capital raising documents. And as you have your due diligence meetings and peel back the layers, you may find, well, this isn't necessarily our idea of impact. And there may be other funds that do not have the impact label on their capital raising documents. But as you peel back the layers, you say, wow, these folks are really generating great impact. So what it boils down to is we all will put on our thinking caps we all will have different lenses. Here at the Ford Foundation, we're guided by the Foundation's mission of social justice. And we also have the benefit of a great team of people who have been studying issues of social justice in our various program areas. Uh, they may have been studying it themselves here at Ford for, for five, seven, ten years, but we also have the benefit of the decades of experience uh, and learnings here at Ford. So, so 
so as we approach impact vesting, we have to approach it with our own lenses and with our learnings and our views on how we can generate the best impact. And I think that's really the best protection one could ask for uh, against what people refer to as impact washing. So, right. Christine, yes? Right. And I think, um, I guess, uh, a final question, I guess, to both of you, I mean, and, and, you know, I guess sort of related to what you just said, and you know, it, it absolutely makes sense. I think uh, it really is the, there's no, it's not binary, it really is, I would say, the spectrum, right? So, and I think, and that is the important thing. And I guess, seeing everyone has a role to play in this partnership, and I mean, what, what gives you hope that we can actually achieve this uh, notion of backstreet to Wall Street? And um, and also, you know, the more importantly, sort of the SDG, I guess, 17 in this case, partnership for goals. I mean, what do you think? I mean, is it is it all moving in the right direction? And are we going to see, uh, you know, millions and billions of dollars being unlocked and uh, all these different streets and markets being connected? What's your thoughts? Well, I do. Or do you want to I take do. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start. Um, um, I believe that as more information is provided so that the market can consume that information and everyone can become more aware of the opportunities that are available and think about their their own particular needs with respect to, you know, whether it be the, the, the return profile, the risk profile, the duration profile. As more information becomes available and a menu of, of, of asset classes uh, becomes illuminated, I believe that investors will, will see that um, there are opportunities to invest in a way that can not just generate returns, but also make a difference in an intentional way uh, from a social returns perspective. And so that could be something as simple as, you know, a, a, a sovereign wealth fund that is very aware of the need to maintain low volatility, and that sovereign wealth fund might say, well, you know, I could invest in market rate housing, but I know that when the next economic downturn comes, the fund that was, that was publicizing a target 25% return may not deliver that return. On the other hand, an affordable housing fund that might be publicizing an 8% target return, well, for affordable housing, there's a shortage of affordable housing in, 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 in very strong markets and in very weak markets. In fact, during weak markets, the shortage becomes greater because more people will need affordable housing due to the unfortunate consequences of economic downturns. So what they'll find is, you know, the affordable housing returns, there's a lot of predictability about, about that 8% and, and very low volatility. So I actually like that that as an investment target versus that 25%, or I'm going to blend a bit of that uh, into my overall portfolio. So I'll, I'll pause there and allow Christine, Christine to say a few words. Yeah, the only thing I'd add, I think we've been incredibly energized by a number of things. I, one are the kind of level of networks that have emerged in this market. And I think people who enter this space really are interested in sharing best practices, learning from each other, figuring out ways to partner effectively. And so I think there's a lot of promise and opportunity in that. And we've also been watching closely the role that large corporations or large asset managers are playing 
in, in kind of talking about the, the role companies can play in, in this broader movement. And I think that's an area that's given us a lot of, um, you know, hope as well right. kind of going forward. Right. No, um, very well said. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, again, this, I think all these various players are coming in and, uh, and there, is, there is a lot of um, collaboration and innovation happening, you know, um, in the space, so which is all, all a good sign. And, uh, and hopefully all of this will also impact what's happening in the rest of the world because obviously U.S. still is a leader in a lot of these, and uh, we look for your leadership for what's happening with the foundations, um, you know, in Asia, at least, where we are. So thank you so much, Roy, Christine. Really, really fantastic, uh, um, you know, conversation, and uh, we learned a lot. And good luck with all the fantastic work you're doing at Ford. Thank you, Thank you so much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.